Engage Sessions. The NSR Media Network presents Sessions, bringing you behind the scenes and into the lives of your favorite music artists. And now, here's your host, Barry Davis. And we have another one of your favorite music artists. Definitely yes, one we of do. your favorite music artists, Tom Ford. Yeah. And one of mine as well. From the band Spoons. Mm-hmm. It's actually, technically, it's just Spoons, not yep. the Spoons. Yep. But it's hard to say Spoons. It is. So from uh, Spoons, Sandy Horn will join us. What are they doing to keep music going during COVID? She will explain. We're going to have a great chat with her, and they've got some shows coming up over the next little while. Yep. So Sandy Horn joins us this week on Sessions. And up next, Tom and I are going to talk some singers, but in a slightly different way that you would think. There's Tom and Barry. This is Sessions. You can't go on thinking nothing's wrong. Tom, one of my favorite voices of all time, Benjamin Orr from the Cars. And maybe I'm a little biased because we're both in a Cars tribute band. Mm -hmm. But I tell you what, uh, Benjamin Orr, who passed away 20 years ago this past Sunday. And when the anniversary, and I hate using the word anniversary because it's not a good thing. But when we look back at 20 years, uh, it made me think about some of my favorite voices of all time. And I'm going to tell you, quite honestly, when we took on this this task of being a Cars tribute band. I wasn't all that concerned about doing the Rick Ocasek songs because Rick had a, a great voice of his own, but it was just a mm-hmm. bizarro voice. Yep. So you just right. put on a bizarro voice and you can do it. But the pressure that I feel every time I try to sing something that Benjamin Orr sung, it, it's it's quite heavy on me because I want to do it justice, and I know that I'll never be able to sing just like Benjamin Orr, but I give it my best shot. Yeah, he has just one of those velvety, smooth tones. You do a great job at it. Oh, well, that's very sweet of but, you. But you are right. There, there, There is that sort of intrinsic specialness in his voice that just it cuts through the music yeah. in, in a way that few singers do. And I think Rick Ocasek said it best when he was asked in an interview many years ago, how do you decide what songs you sing and what songs Ben sings? And he said, whenever I need a good vocal, I give it to Ben. Yep. And what a crazy dynamic. And, and, and maybe next week we will have um, the writer of Benjamin Orr's book. Oh, that'd be awesome. Back on yeah. again and have a more in-depth conversation simply because we are at the anniversary mm-hmm. of, of Ben's passing 20 years ago. But um, getting back to the whole idea of our topic. Mm-hmm. And this is, why don't we name this, this segment Soundcheck? This is how we start off. Right? I love this it. Is, this is called the sound. Welcome to sound check. Testing. Testing. One, two, three. We'll have to come up with a cool intro. One, two. Yeah. One, two. So it made me give some thought about voices. And whenever you see polls on voices, it's always the best voices. Mm-hmm. And when you say best voices, you're talking about technically sound voices. Voices that have a certain octave. Voices that have certain power. And you'll always see like Aretha Franklin, Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. Elvis Presley. Uh, right. Those voices are going to be up there. But for the purpose of our conversation now, and we want to invite our listeners, and we'll, we'll post this when the show is up online, mm-hmm. we want to know who your favorite sounding voices are. The voices that give you comfort. The voices that you can listen to 
all the time. And they don't have to be the technically best voices in the world. The voices that do it for you. So it's like a big shout out to all the Morrissey fans out there. Uh, that's what you're into, mm -hmm. right? And so you and I have each compiled a list mm -hmm. of singers. So we're going to go one by one. All right. And if you say one that I have on my list, then we can both chat about it. Well, we'll both chat about each one, but we'll see how many that we have that are same. So I'm going to let you go first. So start with your, what you would call, if you have a number one favorite voice of all time. Ian Thornley. Ian Thornley. You're going local. Yep. You know, tell me why. What is it about Ian's voice that does it for you? You know, before Chris, uh, before I ever heard Big Wreck, Chris Cornell would have been my answer. Um, but I find, you know, for as big and as successful and as well-known as Chris Cornell is with his voice. Was. It was, yeah. Um, Ian Thornley has that same sort of rasp, that same gravel. But, oh, my God, can he belt. Like, I, I saw Soundgarden in concert a few times, and Soundgarden on the record and Soundgarden live were two different things. But I've seen Ian Thornley live. I've seen him with Big Rack. I've seen him on his own. And I'm, I'm still waiting for him to miss a note. Wow. And there is something just, just visceral in the back of my brain when I hear Thornley going at it. And, right. And and there are a few, you know, it's kind of a, a cop out for my first one because he is an, an unbelievable singer, but it's the tone, it's that gravel, it, oh, it 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 takes me instantly to, you know, a cold road on a fall drive, and that's you know that's how I always think of Big I love Rack. it. Yeah. My number one voice, and it's an obvious one, and again, not a technically great voice that you would think. It is nasally. It's not for everybody, but for me, I can listen to John Lennon sing pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. Whenever I hear his voice, specifically, and I would say in the Beatles era from 65 to 66. So we're talking from Help, probably even before that, Beatles for Sale, Help, Rubber Soul, Revolver. Everything he's saying, I melt. Like, I can just, especially because Lennon loved to double track his voice, and he would have it so that the two voices were just slightly off time from each other, giving it a slight little echo effect, and then they would pan it so you'd hear it in your headphones, mm -hmm. like it's two different voices coming at you. And, I, and John Lennon always hated his voice. He was always asking George Martin to do things to his voice to improve it. <laughs> when he sang come together he literally sang that lying down on the floor because he wanted to try something different wow yeah so always something different with with john lennon's voice and so that to me that is number one on my list so you've mm -hmm. given your number one i've given my number one mm -hmm. number two is going to be a voice that some people when i say the name won't even know who it is and maybe it's because this voice is from my past it's something that always resonates with me but the voice that does it for me more than any else is. The voice you're hearing is of Tommy Shaw from Styx. And a lot of people that go back in the day think of Styx and they think of Dennis D. Young with, Babe, I'm leaving. <laughs> but to me, Tommy Shaw joined the band for the Crystal Ball album. This was the second album he did, The Grand Illusion. I don't know why, what it is about this voice, but it just makes me feel good. It is more impressive to know that Tommy Shaw is in his late 60s 
and still can sing exactly the way he's always sung. Yeah. Just blown away. Are you at all familiar with the voice of Tommy Shaw? Yeah, like I, I wasn't a huge, they're kind of a generation removed from yeah. me. But I mean, this is stuff that everybody heard growing up in the 80s. And, and yeah, there is that certain, it brings you back to that certain time and place, doesn't it, right? Oh, yeah. Now, you may be more familiar with his voice from the band Damn Yankees that came out in the late 80s. You don't oh. even know the da- Damn no, Yankees? No, I don't even know the Damn Yankees. Oh, my God. That was a super group. It had Tommy Shaw, uh, the lead singer from Night Ranger. It had Ted Nugent in the band. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was one of those super groups, and they put out two albums in the late 80s, early 90s. But, yeah, so Tommy Shaw, number two on my list. I can always listen to that guy's voice. Mm-hmm. Okay, number two on your list. Number two on my list is is Billy Corgan. Billy Corgan, now that, yeah. See, now that's a different sounding voice. Oh, that's not yeah. one for everybody. I I have had to defend the my my you know, love for his voice many many times. It is not for everybody, and you know, let's face it, it, it he's got a weird voice. But my God, does it work with that early pumpkin stuff? And actually, he's done some uh, some like solo stuff. Uh, he releases under William Patrick Corgan. Oh, really? And See, I don't even know the solo stuff. You know, it's he somehow is able to write music that just his voice fits into perfectly. And you know, they were such a big band for me, not really because of his voice, but I, I love the guitar work. Right. And. Um, they were such a huge band for me, and his voice just kind of got imprinted in my mind. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. The next one for me, I was going to say Chris Cornell, but we've already kind of touched on Chris Cornell, yep. and just an incredible voice. So I have him on my list as well. Okay, so, so we yeah. both have him on the list, yep. and we kind of touched on him. So I'll go next on my list. And again, a voice that maybe is a big part of my past, a voice that not everybody will have on their list, but every time I hear the voice of Don Henley... I just want to hear it more and more. <laughs> and another guy who was in his late 60s who can still sing every freaking note. Still busted out there. Still yep. busted out there. There was no doubt in my mind as the Eagles went on, and they all knew it as well. And if you watch the Eagles documentary, you'll hear it clearly uh, coming from Glenn Fry in the documentary that as the Eagles went on, it became you know, very abundantly clear that he was the voice of the band. Mm-hmm. And he sang more and more songs, and Glenn Fry sung less and less songs. And then when you go into Don Henley's solo career, it just was just remarkable as well. So Don Henley, next on my list. What do you got next? Well, I'm going to go similar vein, uh, someone known for their guitar work rather than their vocals. But uh, I will Of course, actually... Don Henley, a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Sim- no, similar vein to my last pick. Oh, okay. From gotcha. the Pumpkins. All right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Okay. Um, Someone is obviously known for their guitar work, but it gets slagged about their voice a lot. And I'll actually, you know, I'll admit that Billy Corgan's kind of a weird voice, but here's a voice I think is massively, massively underrated. Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix? Yep. I did not expect that one coming out of you. One of, what is it about his voice that you really liked? Oh, it's him. You know, it's not that he's trying to be the best singer out there. Um, but you hear, like... The way he sings, the rhythmic lines that he chooses through the songs, um, the the conversational aspect in some of the stuff that he does, and how it just kind of melts in there with the guitar. Fair enough. It it is one of those voices that really it makes those songs better. Like who would who else would you have singing, you know, Purple Haze or Foxy yeah. Lady or, or All on the Watchtower, right? You, 
it, it's just perfectly suited for the music that he made. Okay, my next one is going to come as a shock to a lot of people. This person, also no longer with us, also, like Don Henley, and we're kind of going the same trend, known as a drummer. Although more, more people knew this person as a singer than a drummer, but this person was a drummer as well as a singer. And y- you ready for it? Uh, can I guess? Yeah. Is it Phil? No. Oh. Female. Karen Carpenter. And it's almost embarrassing to say, yeah, you know, the Carpenters. But there's something about when I hear her voice, it just takes me back to a place. It's relaxing. It's just... Yeah, that's the feeling I get when I hear her voice. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. My wife can't stand the sound of Karen Carpenter's voice. You know what's funny? What? My wife absolutely loves Karen Carpenter. Really? So you've I, heard a lot of Carpenters in your house. I can't stand <laughs> her voice. So I tell you what. If we ever get to the point where we can go on a, uh, a four-person double date yep. once COVID's gone, uh, me and your wife Robin can listen to the Carpenters and mm-hmm. you and Deb cannot. Yeah, that's fine. Perfect. I'm happy with that. Okay. <laughs> next on your list. Uh, next on my list. Uh, you know what? I'm going to change things up a little bit. I'm going to go, because I've been all male so far, so I'll, yes. I'll go with my first female singer. is Fiona Apple. Whoa. Mm-hmm. You're going again with more of the alternative uh, type of sound. Yeah, alternative or not. Actually, you know, my favorite tune, uh, she did uh, Across the Universe by the Beatles. Probably one of my favorite Beatles covers. That well, we're hearing it right heard. now. That is actually pretty impressive. It's uh, it's it's just a wonderful tune. Yeah. Um, but her first album title um, was cover to cover one of my favorite albums, and she was one of those singers that I always thought, like, obviously personal problems came in, right? Unfortunately, but she's still out there now. She's still making music. Um, but her voice, just that sultry, you know, low tone for a female singer at times. It, it's just, oh, just goes right down my spine. Okay, another one that you probably aren't, well, you know who it is, I'm sure, but you probably haven't uh, listened to a lot. You probably don't have all of his albums in your collection, but this one goes back to my earliest memories of music and being that, you know, little two, three-year-old being babysat by my mom and she'd put the album on, I would have a dog leash in my hand pretending it was a microphone and I would sing along with every one of her Tom Jones records. <laughs> and to this day, I always have my phone loaded with some Tom Jones songs whenever I feel like I want to, to kind of reminisce or kind of go to a, a different place in time. Yeah. I'll put on some Tom Jones. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I get that, though. I get that. And, you know, if I ever had that kind of a power on stage that he had in his days... Like, I was literally at a Tom Jones concert with my mother in the 70s and witnessed women not only throwing underwear on stage, but throwing hotel keys on stage. Back when hotel keys weren't credit cards. Like, you know. Cards. It'd be easier now. You could, like, wing that from the back seat. Right? Well, you could, but then, you know, Tom would pick it up and go, okay, I don't know what room this is. No, you'd be smart about it. Write your room on a card, Okay. chuck it on stage, and hope for the best. Okay, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Okay, so, again, my list is totally not what a lot of people would be thinking. What mm-hmm. do you got next? Um, I'm going to, you know what, I'm just going to change things up. I'm going to go with one of the other names a little bit lower down on my list, but one that was, it's actually really a singer that's become super important to me in the last year since my recovery. Uh, he was one of the 
you know, the people that guided me uh, with his wonderful voice and Sam Cooke. Oh, wow. Going back in time again. Yeah. Like, again, one of those terminally underrated singers. Like, Mm -hmm. he should have been an awful lot bigger than he was. Uh, not only for his music, but for his life and the way that, unfortunately, he died. Yeah. Um, well, for you know. those who aren't familiar with how Sam Cooke died, mm-hmm. fill, fill them in. Uh, he was shot unceremoniously in a hotel room in L.A., I believe. There was never really a police investigation done to it. Nobody really wow. knows what happened. And, uh, you know, really robbed of a fantastic talent. And he has something in his voice that just transcends everything for me and you know it's as close to you know if my dad ever sung uh, i think he'd sound like sam cook right like it's just that warm voice it makes you feel safe just hearing him right mm-hmm. it's so clean so but so much personality uh just absolutely one of my favorites all right uh another one another female another one from my past and again this had everything to do with my boyhood crush and my dream to still have her on as a guest, and it's still in the realm of possibility. It was supposed to happen months ago, and then COVID happened, and I am hoping that one day we will have the lovely and talented Olivia Newton-John on this show, (laughs) and I would love to sing this with her. So that would be my my thing. Mm -hmm. We have her on the show. We have a nice in-depth conversation, and then her and I start singing this one. What do you think? I think this is a great, you know, this is a great direction to go with the show, right? Yeah. Have, have, once COVID's over, we got people on, and, and yeah, we do a sing with them. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, she would be in California where she lives now, or Arizona, wherever it is. She's got a farm. I'd be here, but we'd still be able to sing together. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, again, you and I are ten years apart. So while mm-hmm. I was, you know, in love with Olivia Newton-John, you weren't born yet, mm-hmm. right? And you got to see later, and I'm sure you must have seen the movie Grease at some point in your life. Oh yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. A lot of lot of young men fell in love with Olivia Newton-John. Yep. And when I hear her voice now, I still just, you know, takes me back. And that's what I think the beautiful thing about music is. The late Dick Clark always said, music is the soundtrack of your life. Bingo. And that's exactly what it does for me. Okay, what do you got next? All right, you know what? I'm going to go with that soundtrack theme. Yeah. Uh, this is a band I forgot about entirely. It was like, I, I came across this on a Spotify playlist, and it was one of the biggest Canadian bands ever. And... And for about a decade, both my wife and I had completely forgotten them until I heard this tune, and I remembered how much I loved Stephen Page. Bare Naked Ladies. Wow. Yeah. And I don't know if they disappeared for everybody, Yeah. but I know for my wife and I, I heard uh, Call and Answer came on a Spotify, just a random Spotify playlist, and I was like, oh my God, I forgot about this. And here's the thing. Of the two lead vocalists, I'm technically who the better voice was, I would probably say Ed Robinson. Robertson, not Stephen Page. Stephen Page has a more unique voice. Yep. Ed was more the guy that did a lot of the almost scatting, talking yes. type of thing. Yeah, we put the all the words together, right? Yep. But yeah, that's actually a really good choice. And the Bare Naked Ladies, again, not for everybody, but a band that especially for someone of your age... Well, it brings me right back to grade nine and yeah. Gordon and like... My, my brother, I still remember when he came home with the yellow cassette tape with mm. sandwich on He was going to York University at the time. He's like, I saw this band. And so, I, you know, it brings me right back to that. Okay. Like great, no, great that, that's, that's, that's definitely fair enough. <laughs> and, uh, again, that's the beautiful thing about music, right? It is all about what resonates for you personally. Exactly. And for me, uh, and I think for many people out there, 
the one voice that does still does it for me. The band is still performing, but not with him as the lead vocalist. They have a guy who sounds a lot like him, but you will never, in my opinion, have another Steve Perry. Wow, I thought I thought for sure you were going to go with Freddie no, Mercury. No, no. Hey, Freddie Mercury has one of the best voices ever, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make my top ten. Not because I don't think he has a great voice, but because yeah, I like Freddie's voice. But it, it doesn't have that certain thing for me. I love Queen, mm-hmm. and I love it, but it just, I don't know. Steve Perry, when I hear his voice, I can put on the headphones and just, you know, lose it to his voice. Yeah. So there we go. That's Steve your... Perry is on my list. Next on yours. All right. I'm going to go back to the ladies' side. And, and this time, I'm going with a one-hit wonder. But still, to this day, one of my all-time favorite oh female One-hit wonder, yeah. female. Uh... 90s and alternative. Oh, okay. Mazzy Star. Who? Mazzy Star. And I asked you, who? Yeah. They were a band, I believe, out of California in like the early days of the grunge. And I think first time I heard the tune was on my so-called life, that Claire Danes show. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's called Fade Into You. And it is, for my money, it, it is one of the most wonderful and warm female vocal performances that I've ever heard. Okay, so I'm going to go on the female side of things too. I'm changing it up. All right. I had Stevie Nicks on my list, but I'm going to scratch her out and I'm going to add this person who to me, and I think you would probably be familiar with her because she's also a guitarist, a bluesy guitarist, a very well-known who was out way back before your time, but she had some contemporary hits uh, back in the late 80s, the red-headed, wonderful guitar player Bonnie and wonderful Raid. voice, Bonnie, Bonnie Raitt. Wow, yep. And uh, when I hear this song, something to talk about, again, there's the smoothness and just... That warm feeling yep. when you hear this voice. Yeah. It, and it transcends boundaries, right? Yes. Even at a time when country music was not. Right. You know, and you can't even really put a genre. Is it country? Is it blues? Is bingo. it pop? It's so many things. And her voice is kind of like the glue that ties it all together. Nice. And one more yeah. for you. All right. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with Stevie Ray Vaughan. Stevie Ray. Yep. Again, another guy known for his guitar work. Yep. But that voice for me oh, yeah. is, again, the I, soundtrack I, of about 10 years of my 100%. life. 100%. And I remember exactly where I was the day that I heard about the helicopter crash. I was working at a factory in Mississauga, and I was probably about uh, 20 years old. And always had the radio on back when I was working in the, in the warehouse because we didn't have iPhones back then. <laughs> and Q107 just broke in with the news that there was a helicopter crash unconfirmed reports that Stevie Ray Vaughan and possibly Bruce Springsteen were on that helicopter. Very quickly they realized that Springsteen wasn't on the helicopter, but Stevie Ray Vaughan was. And what a sad story because Stevie was just starting to put his life back together. He was clean for the first time in his life. Here's a guy who made his debut on record, you know, as far as being a recording artist, Mm -hmm. with David Bowie on the Let's Dance album. That's That's all him playing. And David Bowie was planning to take Stevie Ray Vaughan on the road with him for his touring band. At the time, David Bowie was freshly clean. And he did not want to have Stevie Ray Vaughan with him with that bad influence of being such a heavy drug user. So he said no. And Stevie went and carved out his own fantastic 
Yeah, did he? And never. you know what? You know what made Stevie Ray Vaughan contemporary? What made him popular with maybe folks that weren't blues fans were the videos. His yep. videos were phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. The one here for Cold Shot, like just a hilarious video. Yeah. So great choice on Stevie Ray. Now, many people used to get Geddy Lee and Rick Emmett mixed up. And I know for some, they hear the high-pitched scream of Rick Emmett and say it's just screechy. For me, it's comforting. Now, this may be the fact that this was the first band that I saw live. Oh, wow. Good, I saw, good first band. I saw Triumph Live at Maple Leaf Gardens. And I'd already... It was actually our, our drummer from Driven, John, yeah. that got me into Triumph. <laughs> and... He said, you got to hear this band, played me some songs, loved Rick Emmett's voice right away, went to see them in concert, and now Rick, you know, in his mid-60s, can't hit those notes anymore. No. But he can still play the freaking guitar. Yeah, can he ever? Yeah, he is. And here's a cool little Rick Emmett story. Uh, I, I've got a few of Rick Emmett stories, but because I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting him uh, a few years ago, got to see him in a performance, and got to know his son used to work at Sportsnet, probably still does, mm -hmm. and I got to know him through his son. But many, many years ago, um, we had a little rehearsal studio in Mississauga. It was an old warehouse that was broken down into three little studios, soundproof studios. We rented ours monthly to rehearse in, and we were told by the person who owns the studio, guys, we have to boot you out for two weeks. And we were like, why? He said, because Ian Thomas and Rick Ebbett are preparing a TV special, and they need this room to rehearse in. I'm like, okay, well, we yeah, Rick. So all of our gear was left in there, and Rick Emmett was in there rehearsing, and we had the keys to get into the main building, but we couldn't go into their studio because they were in there. But we would literally, John and I would drive to the studio and stand outside the door and listen to them rehearse. Wow. And just to hear his voice. Yeah. And that was really cool. So there you go. Uh, there are many, many others, and we'd love for you to share the voices that do it for you. That was a pretty lengthy list we had. Yeah. we. I mean, we covered a lot, but you're right. There's so many more. So anybody listening out there, let's join the conversation. Hit us up on Twitter mm -hmm. at, at fourth underscore Thomas or uh, what's your Twitter handle again there? What? Barry? You seriously don't my, know my Twitter handle? You don't know your son's phone number. Oh, that's true. <laughs> at Barry Davis, which is my name, underscore. That's it. You think you can figure that out? Yeah. At Barry Davis, underscore. Okay. All right. Um, all right. That uh, speaking of great vocals, um, up next we're going to hear from. Mm -hmm. OTP Sessions presents another Desert Island Disc. Hi, this is Safwan Javid from Widemouth Mason, and my Desert Island Disc is uh, by a band called Black Uhuru. Uh, the album's called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And it is a reggae album because the band plays reggae music. Um, and it features uh, the musical stylings of a rhythm section uh, comp comprised of Sly and Robbie. Um, arguably one of the uh, coolest rhythm sections ever. Um, and I think that's a big reason why I love this album. It just, it, the, 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 it's almost like hypnotic groove science going on throughout this record. Um, every song has this 
thick, thick and robust pocket that you just get lost in and that you could, you know, you could lay down in and pull a comforter over your head and just feel as good as you could feel. Um, and, and then you have Michael Rose singing in his, his very specific, unique Michael Rose voice doing his Michael Rose-isms. And there's a critical piece of me sort of understanding reggae in a different way beyond just listening to kind of Bob Marley's legend. Um, and, and yeah, this is, it's an, if you want to understand reggae music, this is a, an album that you should, you should study from start to finish. Um, and even if you don't, if you just want to hear a rhythm section that is killer. That is from the latest album from Spoons, New Day, New World. That song's called All the Right Things. And I tell you what, I got to give this band so much credit because they were so huge and so influential through the 80s, specifically, obviously, here in Canada. But they did tour uh, all over. They opened for some incredible bands like The Police. And here they are all these years later, back in 2019, about to celebrate their 40th anniversary and Gord and Sandy get back in the studio and create really one of their masterpieces, one of their best albums in a long time. And if you're a fan of the 80s spoons, be sure to pick up this album because this is just a great, great album. Yeah. Fantastic. Like after the break that they had to come out this, (laughs) like, you know, this strong, it's, it's, this is a cover to cover for me. It is. And with music kind of being on hold, live music being on hold for most musicians, uh, the Spoons have found very creative ways of getting themselves out there. And joining us now to tell us a little bit of how they're doing that is the bass player and co-founder of the Spoons, Sandy Horn. Long time with the Spoons. And I hate to say long time because, Sandy Horn, I don't want <laughs> don't want to age you by any set stretch of the imagination because you still look as incredible now as you did back in the 80s. And you play just amazingly as you did back in the 80s. But, wow, 2020 has been a very interesting year for all of us. It is... Uh, been really difficult for musicians the spoons though you guys have found a way to make live music during the summer of 2020 whether it be on a pontoon boat or on the roof of of, of somebody's place what has this been like for you as a musician to go through this um well first it's very interesting to go from playing to a large crowd to a very small crowd but ultimately as long as i'm playing i'm happy so even when we were doing uh, sessions in the house or from our recording studio, um, 
and we're just playing basically with ourselves, <laughs> uh, no audience, at least you get to play. I mean, musicians can understand that nothing's worse than being told you can't play. Oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, it, and fortunately for us, we've managed to find a, a, a nice little niche um, to get into um, and be able to, people have been calling us to, you know, some of the big bands um, up out there in Canada, they've been asked and they're like, oh, no, no, we have our price. This is what we are. Well, you can't ask those prices for a crowd of 100 or 50 people. You just can't. You just have to say, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to do this because music is what makes, uh, it's like the universal language and it, it makes the world go around and it makes people happy. It pulls you out of that strange state that we've been in since, you know, basically March. And it's a catch-22, right, Sandy? Because, you know, I, I know you and Gord, you're, you're musicians, you love it, and you'd be happy to play for nothing, but music is also your career, and it's what pays your bills, and you also have other members of the band that need to be paid. And uh, it can be very difficult because as much as you want to do it for cheap or nothing, uh, at some point you've got to pay the bills too. Well, exactly, and unfortunately... Um I mean, we the musicians and actors and so forth have been able to be on uh, CERB or CURB, however you want to say it, uh, through the, the government, but it's now cut off. And there's so many musicians right now that are just severely panicking if that was their complete livelihood, um, that they can have another supplement income by another source because they're not being recognized because they haven't paid into EI because you're, you're self-employed as a musician. Um, and so this new program, you basically have to have been feeding into EI by being employed. So there's no coverage right now. Unfortunately, the, the NDP are working on our behalf right now to, to try and do something, but I don't know whether they're going to be able to get something passed or not. So there's many people who are freaking out. <laughs> do you think Sandy, I mean, uh, the, the, the concerts that the Spoons have been putting on over the summer, and, you know, there, there probably haven't been enough of them, um, but they have been wonderful when you've done them. Um, you know, the, the, the great show that you guys put on in Port Credit, uh, I believe it was on a rooftop um, that we saw you on, and, you know, uh, I've seen you on a boat as well. Do you think that these, you know, these early concerts that you guys have might be paving the way for all of these panicked people right now to actually get out there and start sharing their music? Um, so since the whole pandemic started back in March, Gord and myself and a few other people we know have been brainstorming what can we do, what can we do, and until you know, became phase three. There really wasn't much we could do of anything um, other than what we were doing from recordings and putting out videos to try and keep people encouraged. So that wasn't making any money for us, but it was keeping us in the public eye. Um, but then uh, once phase three opened, we were able to start throwing our ideas out and seeing what would stick. And that's why we uh, created the Spoons at Home where it's a combination of uh, charitable work for uh, Ronald McDonald House, and um, also we get a little bit of pay. 
so that's how that came about and it, it's been going off really well and we just did one for Ronald McDonald House and uh, uh, the London Food, Food Bank on this past Saturday um, at the uh, fire fire <laughs> there was you know uh, allowed a hundred people because it was outdoors and their restrictions are different than you know certain areas in Ontario and they were registered uh, so that you know the city knew that this was going on um, and they raised a hundred and nine thousand wow. dollars so and, it, and it's helping everybody right it's not just okay we've got a gig Super, we're getting a little bit of a payday, um, but everybody, we're, we feel like we're doing something that's keeping, you know, Canada going. You know what I mean, yeah, you know, uh, Sandy, and I think we we have to give some credit to to our good pal Ed Sousa because Ed is, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, this this guy thrives off of you know promoting music and getting live music out there. And this has just been crushing for him and his business and, you know, all the, the great money they raise for charity with those classic bowl shows that uh, you and I have been to so many of them. And, yeah. you know, I remember maybe it was about a year and a half ago and we were at the home of a mutual friend, Herb Braley, and Herb was having a house party and you were the music guest that night. And I thought, how cool is that to have someone like yourself go to somebody's house and perform? And now you guys have expanded on that. How cool is that to take you and Gord, and I don't know if you have the full band or it's just the two of you, or what's that like going to somebody's home and putting on a private show for them? Um, it's, it's different, of yeah. course. And, you know, you have to learn to humble yourself and say, okay, you, you aren't, you know, like this person that has to be in front of a huge audience um, based on the number of years and what you've accomplished in the music industry. You just have to realize that you can do different things and be proud of what you're doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and you get yourself out there, you keep yourself moving. And this, the music that I was playing, a lot of it was either Spoon's music that I did lead singing on, or it was my original stuff that doesn't quite fit the Spoon's, but, you know, I want to try and do a little bit of a solo thing on the side, or I was trying to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> things have gotten a little more difficult these days. But that's okay. It'll come back. I'm not overly worried about it. Um, mm. But, you know, like I said, it's, music is a universal language. It speaks to all cultures in, around the entire world. And without it, can you imagine, um, take a movie, for example, just a regular movie, one of your favorite movies, and take all the music out. Oh, yeah. It's... How <laughs> boring would that be? Oh, I know. I know, you know, and I was, I had this conversation with, with Gord's son, Matthew, who of course likes to, is into writing music scores. And the one thing he said to me, he's like, music in movies is something you don't realize it's there until it's not there. Right. And I think, yeah, yeah, the same thing goes with music. I I think we had one gig at all this whole summer and it was in front of maybe 30, 40 people. And it's such a different feeling when you finish the song and you just, you look out and you see, you know, a few people out there and you hear nothing and, you, you get a lot of energy from a good audience, don't you? Well, there's a, a feedback, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, there's an energy feedback um, that comes from performing in front of an audience. So the bigger the audience, uh, often, 
will be a bit bigger feedback. And and it's a little bit of a high, to be honest with you. I mean, that's part of why you do music in some regards when you finally realize that your music is being recognized and heard. You know, it's like, you know, being a, a proud parent of a child. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> our songs are like that. It's like, a, you know, we put out a song like Nova Heart and that the song just keeps on giving to us and it has been since 1982. Um, so... You just have to get over the fact that there's just a few people, but a lot of musicians that have, like yourself and ourselves, that have played to 50 or 100 people over the summer, um, all all we can say is, oh, that was so good to play. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh, that was so good to play. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, it doesn't matter if it's one person or 10 people or 20, 30, 40, 50. It doesn't matter. You just got to play. And the band got together to play. And when we did our back to back to the basement uh, session uh, for um, the Lost Eighties um, guys um, with Flock of Seagulls and everything, we did it here at my house. And it was just when they said, "Okay, you can have up to five people in the house." So Johnny and Jeff were out in the recording studio, which is a separate building. And Johnny brought all his equipment and the snake and everything went all the way through my house. And then the band. I'm in the dining room, Gordon's in the kitchen, oh, Scott's in my bedroom, uh, Chris, the drummer, is in our my living room, and my daughter, who got um, those GoPros on everybody, and then my daughter's walking through with a mask on, holding the, her phone up, filming all the way through the room. So that's how that was put together. Can you just like you, you, you hear the words that you're saying, and, and it's almost hard to believe to fathom that, right? If you were to listen back and think about, wow, this is what we're, we what we are we've come to now in the year 2020, right? Exactly. Uh, it, it's a strange world, but um, as a, another friend of mine said, a, a fellow man person, he says, you know, my business is still staying alive because I'm learning to adapt. I'm not going, oh my goodness you know, close shop, we have no shows. He says, I'm learning to adapt. So does it mean I'm selling off some of my equipment? Maybe. Am I letting a few people have to go? Unfortunately. Um, and coming up with new ideas. And, for example, Johnny, our sound man, came up with shields, plastic shields. You know, you go to the store and there's the plastic between you and the, the cashier. Yeah. They're not as big as those, but they're probably, I don't know, three feet by two feet and they attach to the front of your mic stand. So when you're singing, it just hits the shield. Oh, that's so a if there's anybody close to you in any way, you don't have to have a mask on to sing or anything. You can sing into the shield and he's, he's selling them like hotcakes. Tom. were karaoke bars and they didn't have shields for their singers yeah. so a, a singer in the room you know it it's funny though because you, you tell that story about you know hooking up the cable through the house and and it, it really does ring of you know just a whole host of other you know amazing musicians that are doing exactly what you're doing and that is thinking outside the box and, and doing things that you know might have been considered uh 
completely and totally unfathomable a year or two ago. And, and just to get, you know, good vibes, I guess, right, for the people that so desperately need them now. You know, where do you see uh, the last six months have been a bit of a, obviously, a washing machine. Where do you see the next six months going from music and musical performance? Um, I think it's probably going to be most of the same until, A, they can get the contact tracing and the numbers down or, B, a vaccine or whatever. I mean, there's two trains of thought of where this is going to go. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but mm-hmm. for key, like probably next summer festivals, but it's all on COVID rules. So there's still that open. So festivals are hiring for next year, but they're putting a clause in with the availability to cancel due to COVID. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, there's talk in the industry that everything's going to open up. For example, um, you know, coming up, uh, we have a show uh, at Classic Bowl in the small room on uh, October 30th, and it's, it's Gordon and I, it's not the full spoon, so it's um, a Sweet Images, and, uh, yeah, Sweet Image and yeah. <laughs> Fair Tales. And there's uh, Peter Nunn from uh, Honeymoon Suite, um, and there's Giles on drums. Uh, from Images in Vogue and Gordon and I and we're playing different songs from three bands and it's on Halloween but they can only have 40 or sorry 50 people in the room at the time right because that's the law as long as you register um, but you know it's it's difficult to I mean I know we've had opportunities and things are happening for us but at the same time too I don't see into the crowds of 200 people by Christmas. I do not see that, especially with the second round and the flu season coming. You know, I'm a little surprised that the whole idea of the drive-in concerts didn't really catch on. In fact, I've heard of more canceled shows at drive-ins than I have of ones that actually went and actually happened. Any idea why that didn't fly the way we kind of hoped it would? Yeah, I, I do have a good grasp on it um, because we tried so many times, like three or four times with different theater drive-ins. The problem with the drive-ins is the people who own the drive-in have a mindset where people come, they bring their cards, they pay the ticket price, and they make all their money off the concession stuff. Well, yeah. They don't often have to do a lot of advertising. They don't understand. And now you want to bring in a band, now you've got to put up a stage in front of the screen. And then you've got to they bring all this gear in. And the bands want to play in the evening. And it's usually on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, which is normally their biggest ticket night for movies. Right. So then the bands are like, okay, so maybe you can get um, 250 cars at $100 a, a car. You're looking at $25,000. So the bands are like, well, we aren't going to give you all that money. We need some of that money. Mm-hmm. So then it gets into this battle about money and how it's all going to work. And then there was a problem with the washrooms and oh, it's just over and over and over again. And then when it was a concert, people were breaking all the rules that, you know, you stay in your car or you stay at the side of your car, however it's set up. And 
you're not supposed to go to the concessions. The concessions are supposed to walk around to you. Well, that wasn't happening. There was like a whole horde of different things that were going wrong, and they couldn't get it corrected. So now um, there's a few places, like there's Ontario Place in the parking lot there. Um, they're doing stuff, and also the docks have a big parking lot. And we're actually doing a show with the Blondes on October 30th. Oh, cool. Um, so it's a drive-in. But it's not a drive-in theater. It's just a drive-in concert on, on a, a big area with parking lots. And they set themselves up, and they know how to promote it, and they have a whole platform, whereas the drive-ins didn't have it, and then mm-hmm. everything was left to the bands to do all the promotion. Well, a lot of bands don't do all the promotion. You have a promoter for a reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, bands generally aren't promoters. They're the band, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yes, you have your Facebook. Yes, you have your platforms and Instagrams. But most bands aren't sitting there promoting, promoting, and promoting constantly. Mm-hmm. Question I was going to ask you next is, you know, do you find that promoting has changed like what worked before covid maybe doesn't necessarily work during covid or are there things that you found uh in terms of getting engagement and getting people out and getting your music out there uh that have been really successful in covid that didn't work maybe necessarily before which is out of the states which actually opened up the states for us because over the years we weren't performing down in the States and our, our, our window of opportunity kind of was closing down, but by getting on to the back to the basement, um, shows, uh, it opened us up and we suddenly had people from Europe and United States and all over the place saying, Oh, I remember you guys, you know, <laughs> we kind of got lost and <laughs> lost in the eighties, so to speak. Um, but because we had an, them involved, we probably wouldn't have had that opportunity if COVID hadn't happened. Funny so how things work. Some, <laughs> there's a little bit of an up to it, I guess. <laughs> o- only took 40 years, right? I know. 40 years. <laughs> and, you know, it, and it's interesting because you mentioned 40 years. And, I mean, before COVID hit, um, you know, 2019 slash 2020 was really looking to be the year the Spoons kind of put themselves back on, on the map and really opened themselves up to a whole new audience. Uh you know, the first time, uh, I think Gord sent me a copy of the first single before I had him on uh, on my show. And then, uh, you know, of course, Ed played me some stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, this stuff sounds phenomenal. Like, it really sounds phenomenal. New Day, New World, to me, is is right up there with, with the best Spoons albums ever. Uh, how... How happy and how pleasantly, I don't even want to say surprised, because as a musician, whenever you put something out, you're proud of it, and, and you always have hope that it does well. But to see it do what it did, specifically the videos, uh, that must have been a, a, a great way to kind of usher in that 40th year anniversary for you. Yeah, and, and with the whole COVID thing happening, it was kind of like a, a Debbie Downer speak yeah. for us, because we had finally... we broken just before COVID happened we'd broken the casinos and we were selling out and we were actually closed the casinos to be honest with the COVID we yeah. were the last to play it but they were sold out and they wanted us back and 
um, it was a great time. We we're like, finally, we're on, we're on the track. We're on, you know, back in in the eighties. Um, and then COVID hit, and that was the first thought was uh, Peter Sacco, um, who produced uh, the first and the last time video for us, said, "Well, let's take this opportunity and 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 do something." Um, and the videos we'd already done with him had already done really well in film festivals of, as short films, which is and, and music videos, which we didn't even think by putting a video would, it would do anything much more than a few hits on YouTube. And uh, it ended up going viral in all these film festivals around the world. Wow. And then Peter said, well, why don't we do something that in, enhances and appreciation for the COVID and, and all the frontline workers. Um, and that's when we did Landing Lights. Um, and we got a huge response oh, yeah. it was to the frontline workers. And that, again, that even went even bigger because the, the whole world is in this state. It isn't just Canada and the United States. The whole world is suffering from COVID. So now it's being recognized around the world. And then we did the, the, the title track, New Day, New World, where we had bunch of you know um so-called celebrity friends um send in little notes and just you know um stay home be safe whatever um missing you or you know don't forget me while i'm home is what yeah. i'm <laughs> <laughs> which is really good and i have um, to say i have to say sandy i'm very proud of the one that i was able to get for you because i i lined up curtis joseph who went and put on his goalie mask for the whole thing too oh yeah that was actually what it <laughs> Yeah. Back out. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, through all of that, it, it, it's opened the doors for us. And though we lost a ton of festivals that we were we were going to be playing our our buns off this past summer, but finally for the first time all across Canada, and they all got, you know, nicknamed because of COVID. A lot of them have said, "Well, we'll reschedule for next year." So we haven't really mm -hmm. lost them. So. Gordon and I have said, well, you know what? We're just going to put our 40th anniversary on semi-hold and celebrate it in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> That's be the 40th year of our first album. <laughs> Perfect. Great time. Came out in 1981. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tom? And I want to also tell you that we just finally, some students fans will be happy to hear this, finally got... Uh, permission to release and got the masters for bridges over borders oh nice so we're working on putting together a whole compilation a cd um package of quote unquote the hit songs and then put bridges out by its individual cd because it never came out on cd it right. was only out on vinyl and cassette yeah. and uh we're also working on christmas stuff Gordon's written a really excellent oh, cool. uh, Christmas song. Um, and I've written kind of a Christmassy song. And then we have Snow Globes from the album. We have Smiling in Winter. So we're putting out a little, oh, nice. hopefully wow. get a little mini EP thing out for Christmas. Are you going to let... <laughs> Go ahead, Tom. It's done. Oh... And, and doing that because so many artists have done it and been successful, but that, that's not our our thing. So, yeah. um, these are brand new. You, you know, you're going to have to let Ed Souza play the bells in at least one of those songs, right? 
Because <laughs> the triangle just yeah. doesn't work for Christmas songs. It has to be the, you know, the little jingle bells. So, well, you know, yeah. so, let's go back to, to some better times. And okay. I've had Gord on the show before, and he's told me the story about how you two first met in high school. But, you know, a guy's perception of a story and a woman's perception of a story are usually a little bit different. So I'd like to know your perspective, because all, all I'll leave you with is that you and Gord were in the same class, I guess, and you sat, he sat behind you or something. But maybe you could tell me how you discovered Gord or how he discovered you. Um, I probably discovered him before he discovered me or he was just too shy to admit it. Um, at the time, because Gord was extremely shy when I first met him. Like, you couldn't say boo to him. He wouldn't <laughs> respond. Um, but I was in high school, and I was in grade 9. I was 14 years of age. And just after Christmas, uh, I was um, playing first trumpet in the junior band and taking music and so forth. So that was the instrument in high school that I played. I was already playing acoustic guitar on my own. And... Uh, so just after Christmas, the music teacher, Mr. Anderson, came to me and said, you know, um, we just lost our third trumpet player in the senior band. Um, we don't normally have grade nines come into the senior band, but we're in desperate need because we're doing this show in Armprior, Ontario. That was when bands used to, like high school bands used to play at other high schools far away and you'd build them and so forth. And mm. so I was like, sure, I'd love to. I said, well, what, I can't do the junior band and the senior band. I can only do one. And then he said, no, no, that's fine. You don't have to be in the junior band. Just the senior band would be great because we need to fill out for, especially for this concert coming up in May. So I said, okay, fine. And a friend of mine, Mary Galloway, who lived across the street from me, was the head trumpet player in the band. So she could get me up to speed. So great, fine. So I go in to the uh, rehearsal for the senior band after school or evening or whatever the rehearsal time it was. And I, because I'm third trumpet, it went third from the left, third, uh, second, first, third, second, first. So in the lineup that we were set up in, the sax, head sax, which was Gord, because he's two grades ahead of me, so he's in grade 11, 10, 11, yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I had to do my math there. And um, I was third trumpet, so I ended up sitting right beside him, right off the get-go. Did he have the great hair and back then? Pardon? Did he have the great hair back then? Well, no, that was from the 70s, so that oh. was parted in the middle, oh, middle yeah. with the feathered look on either side. Yeah, I had that too. <laughs> we all we all did in the 70s. <laughs> this, is, this is, you're talking 75 here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We were all we were all inspired by uh, John Travolta's uh, character in Welcome Back, Cotter. I think that was why we all had our hair like that. Yeah, that that was the hairstyle, right? So there he was with his parted hair in the middle. And anyway, so he sat next next to me, and I I kind of looked at him. I was like, oh, gee, he's kind of cute. And um, so I'd try and talk to him, and he wouldn't really respond to me. So I would say things to him that would probably be more interesting, like, "Hey, how's it going?" Or, you know, my name is Sandy or whatever. <laughs> I just say to him, <laughs> I say to him, I'm kind of lost in the music. Uh, where are we? And I'm hoping for him to respond in some way. And he just pointed his finger to the sheet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. What a so jerk. He really, yeah, he didn't really talk to me for the first couple of months. And then on a band trip, the band trip to Armprior, Ontario, um, the high school band trip, 
um, I brought my acoustic guitar, guitar with me, and I didn't know he was a guitar player. And I was at the front of the bus with the girls, and he was at the back of the bus with the boys. Because at that point in time, for whatever reason, we did that separation thing. <laughs> and I was doing like Olivia Newton-John and folk songs at the front with the girls, and he was in the back, and he was just noodling on the guitar and doing Robert Fripp and, you know, Genesis stuff, and all the boys are super impressed and so forth. And eventually, over time, I don't know, changing guitars around and people asking to borrow my guitar, I got to the back of the bus where the boys were. And he said to me, uh, these are probably the most words he'd ever said to me at that point in time, was, can you just do the root notes while I do some lead? <laughs> what and a I went, chauvinistic okay. pig he is. <laughs> no, he's so shy. He didn't know what else to do. And then he was suddenly realizing this is a girl here that's like interested in more than just the high school band, but you know, a guitar. Right. I think that was where he kind of went, oh, okay, this now becomes interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started playing the root notes on the four lower strings on the acoustic guitar so he could do his lead and so forth. And the drummer in the high school band, I didn't know that he and Gord already had a cover band going called Impulse. And it was, you know, the radio songs that were on the radio in the 70s they were playing. And the drummer actually said to me, he said, um, we, need, we need a bass player. Do you want to play bass? And I went, at first, my first thought at that time, I had no idea. I had never really thought about breaking down a rock and roll band and what a bass player was. I thought to myself, what is bass? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, and I didn't say that. I just thought that to myself. I thought, I better figure out what the heck they're talking about. Um, and then I said, well, gee, I'll have to ask my parents. <laughs> sure okay and that's kind of what happened and i didn't have a bass guitar but they rehearsed in the basement of the music shop which is the music store in burlington after hours because both gary and gordon worked at the music store for part-time selling musical instruments so i got to try out a ton of basses before i bought one because i'd pick one off the wall to go and rehearse with tom <laughs> yeah after having all those bases at your disposal, what did what did you end up going with? Ah. These days. Very. And, and an Ampeg amp. And unfortunately, uh, one of our very first Spoon shows, my base got stolen. Oh. Yeah. So I lost my... My Gibson grabber. I only have pictures of it now. Oh man! It's floating around out there. I'm sure somebody's got it. Not realizing it was originally mine. Uh, oh. Oh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. I've always every time I've seen you play. I, I believe it's Spectre that you ended up with in the end. Your your bass tone is just absolutely wonderful and obviously it all stems from that so it, though it's sad you lost the grabber um i think you know generations of canadian music fans are, are happy you ended up with the tone that you did because it it was and it is such a wonderful tone <laughs> oh i know tom I do, does yes, <laughs> yes i do <laughs> It actually gave me tendonitis in my shoulders, um, and I ended up 
because of my soreness in my neck and everything else, I ended mm-hmm. up putting strap locks on a weightlifter's belt and strapping it. So the weight was around my hips and then the strap around my shoulder was just to keep it close to me um, oh. because it was so heavy. And then yeah. when I, we met Niall Rogers on the Culture Club tour and we were recording the Talk Back album and we, I started putting my, my bass tracks down. He's like, how do you, how much do you like your bass? <laughs> I went, I don't know, it's okay. It's really heavy and I don't know. I, I haven't had a chance to figure out what else I want to play. And he said, where's the closest music store? And I said, well, we generally go to Steve's Music. And so he said, well, let's go down there. And he went in and he's looking up and down the, the walls and way up top was um, a black specter. And he said, uh, let's have a go with that one up there. And I and so they pulled it down and and I started playing. He says, this is what Bernard Edwards plays right now. And I went, oh, really? And the, the bass at the time was like $1,800 in in the early 80s yeah that's and, a lot uh, of money like, <laughs> yeah i was like Ooh, shoot. you know this, this we'd had a you know some success with our but i certainly wasn't rolling in any bill <laughs> and i was like mm. and they said well you, you can take it out and and record with that right so the whole album was recorded with the specter bass and then um i decided well i'm going to order one so i ordered one in in white because of nile rogers and that's the story is that the same Spectre that you play now? Yep. Wow, you still have it. That's wow. pretty cool. So as, oh, yeah. you, as you started to become a bassist, um, did you start to have a different appreciation for bass players, for music and, and, the, and the bass in music? Because I, I played bass for a while myself, and I found when I did that, I listened to music in a completely different way. I, I'm not listening simply to the overall sound of the song. I'm listening to how the bass player is either, you know, part of just that rock backline, or in the case of say a Paul McCartney, become a big part of the melody. And, uh, and that's what I love about yeah. your bass playing, Sandy, is that you really make the bass a beautiful part of the melody. Uh, was McCartney somebody that you admired? Uh, of course, I admired him as a bass player, um, but I I didn't take up his technique of playing. I um, I think probably what came out of how my style started was a I wasn't a bass player to start with I was a guitar player right mm-hmm. so I'm automatically thinking guitar parts but you can't do all of that with the bass and then learning over time where to put the bass when to utilize it just as keeping the drums together with the song and keeping the song moving bass and then deciding, okay, where is the spot now that I can do a little something that's completely different? And but the great thing I think about bass is it's an instrument that's caught between guitar, keyboard, and the drums. So it's the glue. So you have to decide how sticky you're going to be. Is how I put it. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, go ahead, follow up. Uh, I'm, I'm just kind of soaking this all in. It's, it's, it's wonderful because, you know, I definitely wanted to kind of take this in that direction and, and, and talk a little bit more about your influences because, um, you know, I don't know. Well, I, you know what, let's, let's go 
let's go with the more basic question is is a bass player in a new wave band in the 80s in Canada and as a female bass player um how how was that experience and you know because you're playing like when i think of you as a canadian bass player i think uh you know you're kind of our canadian carol k and you know the the bass lines that you put into the spoons music uh, as barry was was touching on are so melodic and uh and are such an integral part of a lot of you know not just the melodies but the structures of those tunes uh i'd love to hear you talk just a little bit more about where you where you did pick up your influences from and uh, you know was it from bass players was it from guitar players was it from keyboard players or was it from a little bit of everything By the end of Impulse, which was, uh, yeah, I was turning 16, so it was basically almost two years later. <clears throat> Gordon and I had moved a friendship. <clears throat> Sorry, I had some milk at dinner. And I feel it <laughs> in my throat. I don't have COVID. <laughs> it's all right. It's a good thing we are, we, we're, we're separated in a certain way, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm clearing my throat here. It's only because the milk is feeling a little gooey. <laughs> uh, anyway, um so after um, Impulse, we formed a band called Trips, and it, it was a, basically a basement band that didn't move any further than the basement and maybe the public library when we rented the room to sell tickets to 10 people. Um, it was a, a kind of a Van de Graaff generator, early Genesis, proggy, eight-minute epic songs, and um, Gordon and myself and the keyboard player, original keyboard player for the Spoons, which is Brett Wickens, and drum uh, drummer Peter Shepard, who was a huge Genesis fan, we just got as complicated as we possibly could and got as many melodies and as many notes and different things going on. Like, when I listen back to old tapes that haven't gone bad yet, <laughs> I go, how did we ever even think of this stuff? It was, I listened a little bit to the Genesis, but mostly, I was just thinking, how far can I go out of the box? So, in the so songwriting, a- in, in the songwriting process, Sandy, a, a lot of times would would you and Gord kind of sit together and come up with, you know, the the kind of skeletons of the song, or would he come and say, "I've got this"? What can you come up with a baseline with? How did that process work? Because again, as as Tom says, and I'll echo it your bass lines were just such a huge and still are such a huge part of the spoon sound. Yeah. So uh, for example, I'll give you one for example is old emotions. Um, I can tell you, I can make, see it clear as day. We were, our rehearsal place was this little cottage at the end of Burlington, just at the corner of Eldershot. It was Gordon's dad's office. Wow. And we had a bedroom upstairs up this narrow staircase that was 10 by 10 and the drums were in the corner then there was the bass then there was the guitar on the other side of, of the bass and then keyboards were in the front corner by the door so the derek had to get in first then i got in then gord got in and then rob got in <laughs> 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 and we're really really tight and we have like two little monitors to listen to ourselves singing um, and this tiny, tiny little room. And anyway, Rob and Derek weren't there yet. So Gord was playing old emotions. 
and he kept saying, you know, I, I don't know how to stick this together, like how to get them to fit so I can get back to the verse after the chorus, because it just sounds funny lumping back to the verse after the chorus. And I said, well, just give me a minute. And then I came up with da 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 and repeated that a couple of times and then moved it up another tone, and then it glued back to the verse and the chorus. Wow. And it was just, it's just one of those things that happened. So the song was written in probably, I don't know, five, six minutes. And then when, <laughs> and when Derek and Rob arrived, we go, we got a song to work out. And they went, okay, cool. And we started working it out. And at the time, our manager had shown up to the, the rehearsal, and he's like, wow, that's a great song. That could be a hit. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> so And it was. You know, it, yeah, yeah, so some songs, you know, can take – a while to come and others not um for example repeatable on the new album which is the uh the funky bass part that goes all the way through oh the yeah song. love that mm-hmm. yeah so gord was away with on flock of the seagulls um not last august but the august before so 2018 he was away on tour with flock of seagulls and we had almost the album close to finish so we just felt like it just needs another song or something and Gord said, I, I said to Gord, I think we need another song. He says, well, I, I'm really busy. I, I don't know, come up with something and send it to me. So I came up with the bass riff and gave him a long loop of two, three minutes of just my bass doing it over and over and over again. And then um, a little bit of a chorus thing where I flip out to the C and the E and then back to the D. Um, and uh, he came back with, I got the song. <laughs> So I just sent him an MP3 for him to practice in the hotel room with. And he came back when he came off tour with Flock of Seagulls and says, I think I've got it. And then we recorded it, and it was one of the last songs. Oh, and then All the Wrong Things in the Right Places was the very last song that came together just at the last minute, like in November, as another fluky thing. Again, the middle section is is my bass part. I wrote the middle section because Gordon, again, was like, what do we do with the middle of the song? It needs to do something. <laughs> where it breaks down. So I, I created that breakdown part. Sandy, was there a point during the recording that you and you and Gord kind of looked at each other and said, we've got the magic back. Like, this is this is not just a bunch of songs that we're kind of grasping to keep things going. Like, this is good shit. You know, we've been, since we did Static, we've kind of been writing piece by piece since 2011 and we mm-hmm. it's just been over a period of time but when it came to final mixing they all kind of got mixed together um except for snow globes which is kind of was a leftover just as static was coming out so it didn't really get on the album so we kind of kept it in the archives mm-hmm. um and then paint by number day um which is actually the same as first and the last time but in a different key and some different words and a little bit of melody change. They're actually the exact same song. Um, Gordon, when we were recording New Day, New World, he goes, I got this new song, and it was it was first and last time. And I went, we've already recorded this, and I sang it. And he went, you did? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah. And we pulled it up, and I said, and it's called Paint by Number Day. <laughs> and I said, if we... I said, if you know, if we just move it further down in the album from where you're going to put this one in, in the category, like in, in the lineup, people might not notice (laughs) 
And sure enough, we did. Yeah, and nobody really noticed until you've just revealed that secret, Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I thought I was getting away with something. <laughs> so, yeah, back to your question. I, once we had it completed and mastered and we listened to it all the way through, you know, um, Chris, uh, our, our our drummer, and, and Gordon and I were listening through it and we're like, wow, this is something to be proud of. We're really happy with it. And then we took it to Ready Records, Sparks Music, which is our original record company with Nova Heart and Arias, who's with Universal. And we said, this is our album. Do you, are you guys interested in putting it out? If not, I go, we'll just do it independently on our own. And, and they went, yes, absolutely. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and you guys should bo- both be very, very proud of it. it, it it's, a, as we said before, uh, a fantastic album. Uh, Sandy, before we wrap up, one more plug for the Classic Bowl show on Halloween. And, uh, I mean, tickets are probably, if not sold out, they will be sold out real quickly because there's only 50 to go around. But um, do you know where the people can get the tickets for that show if they're interested? Uh, I believe it's through uh, Classic Bowl. Um, there's postings on uh, Facebook on through the link on that. If you even go to Classic Bowl and uh, their concert series, it, it'll be there. If not, watch our feeds through Facebook. I think it's already all over there right now. Um, yeah, so it's October 31st. It is Halloween party, so ah. if you do get tickets, you're come dressed uh, appropriately for yeah. Halloween. I've already um, got I've already got a costume. I'm deciding between my Tom Petty look or my Rico Cassick look. So one of those two, I'll be I'll be coming as. <laughs> I haven't I haven't figured that out because I I, had, I hadn't realized it was Halloween when we actually got <laughs> the date, and then, and then I said, you know, it's a Halloween party, and I was like. Oh, now I have to dress up. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe we might come together as a band, uniformed as something. You know, I don't know. Oh yeah, we'll see. I can see that. Yeah, so happen. that'll be a lot of fun because it's going to be. We're going to be playing a few honeymoon suite songs that Peter's going to sing. And he does a great a job, by the images. way. Right? I, I heard the last time you guys did that. I went. Oh yeah. Peter's okay. got Peter's got a great voice. <laughs> he can <I> sing. <laughs> well, he does. He does backgrounds for honeymoon suite. So, yeah. You know. You know. He, he's he's good. And then mm. I'm gonna do a few images songs and of course spoon songs and and it'll be intimate in the sense that you can ask questions. We'll tell road stories. It'll be fun. Awesome, Sandy. Thank you so much for doing this. Stay safe and. Let's hope that, um, you know, the 41st or the 40th and a half anniversary tour uh, in 2021 is uh, actually going to happen. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. It was awesome talking with you. There is Sandy Horn from The Spoons. And remember, if you get a chance, tickets might be sold out by the time you hear this. But it's worth giving uh, Ed Sousa a shout over at Classic Bowl. And they've got a few things coming up over the next little while, so be sure to check that out. Great to see live music again. Mm-hmm. Great to hear Sandy Horn. And I still love watching her play bass, too. She oh, just yeah. makes it look so effortless, doesn't she? Yeah, exactly. I mean, th- th- that interview went in, in in a pretty cool direction, I think. But I would have been happy if we had to just talk bass tones <laughs> and patches. And <laughs> Absolutely. So there goes another episode of Sessions. Uh, Be sure to go to our SoundCloud page or you can subscribe on iTunes. And if you subscribe to Out of the Park, you automatically will have Sessions drop. Easy peasy.
That's all the time we have for today's show. Until next time, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. I'm Casey Kasem. <laughs>